blue ones, it's page 1201, and the black ones, page 1012, if you read along with me, please. <clears throat> what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war in you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the day that we set aside to worship you. And, and God, I pray for Pastor Marty as he preaches the word, that he will boldly proclaim your word, and it will penetrate to the depths of our hearts, and we will leave as changed people. I just thank you, praise you, and give you all the glory and honor. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. And the Alphas may be dismissed. So we're continuing our trek through the book of Genesis. Today we're in a fairly challenging passage in chapter 34. I think it's a good reminder of what the Bible is. The Bible is a story of redemption. And these stories remind us of how much we truly need God's mercy because of the effects of sin. In our passage today, we read of great evil as a result of the fall in Genesis 3. After Genesis 3, the human heart shows evidence of what theologians call total depravity. Some people think people are basically good. Well, it's not true. Genesis 34 is a sobering reminder of the wickedness of the human heart and our desperate need for redemption. Today, if you have forgotten your need for salvation, would you pause and be honest before God? Consider how left unchecked, how quickly you and I can follow our desires and allow them to rule over us and even cause great evil against others. After you're sobered by this reality, be reminded of the amazing grace of God in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will set forth in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7 Friend, look to Christ for redemption. He has come. Father, I am fully aware of how much I need this message. I thank you for this week working it over me and showing me that there's constant need to keep my passions and desires in check. 
Thank you for reminding me by the power of your spirit that a redeemer has come. The Lord Jesus has come to seek and save, to purify, to change, to redeem, to restore, to adopt, to put your spirit in our hearts that we cry out, Abba, Father. So this morning, Father, would you help us? Would you help us to rightly understand this passage, to rightly understand the beauty of the Redeemer that's come, and help us to be bold in our love for you and others. Amen. Most of you have spent enough time in the Bible to realize it's not G-rated. The Bible talks about very difficult, hard concepts. And today is one of those. In Genesis 24, we read of sinful passions which are manifested and seen in sexual assault, an apathetic father, and revengeful, murderous brothers. In our passage today, there seems to be no reference to God. And that is a culture that has rejected God. Total depravity, total chaos, the abuse of others. So I'm going to read Genesis 34, the whole chapter, and then we'll, we'll take it bit by bit and I think make some super helpful application. So Genesis 34. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and they and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing should, must not be done. But Hamar spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You should dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to his father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me I will give. Ask me for a great bride price and gift, and you and I will give whatever you say only to, to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamar deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised. 
for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and will be gone. The words pleased Hamar and Hamar's son Shechem. And the young men did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all of his father's house. So Hamar and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition that will the men agree to dwell with us, become one people, when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out to the city of his, the gate of his city listened to Hamar and his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons, Jacob, Simeon, and Levi, Dinah's brother, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamar and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came up upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth and their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? This is a, uh, a pretty difficult passage. And honestly, this is one of the reasons we preach through books of the Bible. This, this wouldn't have been my preferred text to preach on today. But it's in the Bible. We believe all of God's Bible is important. All of His Word is important. And there's something for us to learn. There's a lot for us to learn in this passage. In verses 1 through 4, we read that Jacob's daughter Dinah was born of Leah, and she decides as a young woman that she will go see the world. It says she went out to see the woman of the land. At first glance, this seems fairly harmless. But in essence of what she's doing as roughly a sophomore in high school, teenage girl, is saying, I'm going to go see the world and all that's in it. She leaves the security of her home and goes and explores the world. And what she is doing is flirting with a wicked culture of the day. As she's exploring the prince of the land, Shechem, sees her, seizes her, 
lays with her and humiliates her. He sexually assaults her. In our previous chapters, we may have been able to shrug off some of the sin that has been revealed, but not here. This is a sin that I think all of us can realize is wicked to the core. No one would agree that someone created in the image of God should ever be treated like this. Sin is revealed, and we cannot escape the wickedness, the great evil committed against God in this young woman. See, this is what happens when man does not control his desires. This is the challenge for you and I every day. We have desires. And left unchecked, all sorts of great evil can take place. That's how sin works. Remember Genesis 3? Oh, that looks good. God said, don't do it, but it looks good. I'll take it and eat of it, and all hell breaks loose. That's what happens. That's the way sin works. Ah, you know, Aaron reminds us a lot. Did God really say, yeah, he did? And don't flirt with it. Whatever it is. Our desires as humans, left unchecked, can cause all kinds of terrible evil. And now, in some weird, twisted way, this man who assaulted this woman now loves her. There's no, there's no apology. There's no confession. There's no evidence of repentance. It's like, I gotta keep getting what I want. There's no remorse. But he says to his dad, get me this girl for my wife. Well, there's so many things wrong with Shechem's response to his sin. No confession. No concern for Dinah. But continuing to exercise his sinful passions and desires. And now he's got his dad involved. Remember a guy in the book of Judges? Similar story. Samson. He had his passions and they were unchecked. I want to remind us that all sin is against a holy God. And when our sin is directly against a person, we need to remember that all men and women are created in the image of God. And when we sin against an image bearer, it is a vile thing. Sometimes we feel justified. You know, think about that person that annoys you at work, how justified you feel talking negative about them. Because that person is created in the image of God, even if they're not a believer. And when we realize what God has already taught us in Genesis 1, that men and women are created in the image of God, it should really change the way we think and look at others. And here this girl has been assaulted and he continues to want what he wants. No thought of this girl. No concern for her. Only himself. And now we look at Jacob. Now Jacob seems to have made a turn in the last couple chapters. So what's Jacob's response? Nothing. Jacob, Dinah's father, seems quite neutral to the situation. 
I have two daughters. This, this guy's he's just apathetic. This is called the sin of omission. When there's sin and we fail to do nothing. Now, we cannot know a person's motives. We can't know Jacob's motives. And we want to be really careful of judging anyone's motives in this passage or in our life. But we can see Jacob doesn't do anything. Now, some commentators suggested, well, this was the daughter from his disliked wife. Maybe that played into it. We don't really know, but, but it doesn't matter. This father remained silent after his daughter had been assaulted. Now the brothers come in. Dinah's brothers find out and they're very angry. We read in verse 7, such a thing must not be done. In my mind, in this passage, that's about the only even hint of a reference to God. Them realizing that this is wrong. This is evil. And I want to remind us, and this is super tricky, that there is such a thing as righteous anger. God is angry at wickedness every day. He's angry at the wicked every day. As men and women, we're created in the image of God and His image bears. God is angry about wickedness committed against those created in His image. And I think for a split moment, maybe a millisecond, these brothers had righteous anger. Because I believe put within the human heart as image bears is a desire for justice. Unfortunately, I think most of us, when we have righteous anger, it turns to sinful anger very quickly. And this is what happened to Jacob's sons. What, what might have been righteous indignation, righteous anger, because of such a great evil committed against their sister, quickly turns to scheming and planning and revenge. Verses 8 through 12, we see Shechem wants to marry Dinah. Again, still no apology, no contrition, no concern for Dinah. Suggestion is made, hey, let's intermarry and live together. But back in Genesis 26 and 27, we read of the problem of intermarriage. And all through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, God's covenant people are warned against intermarrying with other cultures because they bring in the pagan gods, the pagan ways. This plan for intermarriage is just so the prince can get what he desires. Give me this young woman to be my wife. Verse 12. In verses 13 through 17, Dinah's brothers have made a turn from what was likely righteous anger to scheming and revenge. Their plan, they, they had some, some relatives that were pretty good at deception, so they learned a lot of the tricks. Their plan is to deceive them into thinking they will get what they want, but first they have to be circumcised. Now apparently circumcision had become common and not always for religious reasons. But it seems in this case that Jacob's son are taking a sacred ritual and potentially making it blasphemous to fuel their revenge. 
think we really desire justice. And I'll tell you what the dad with daughters, I can appreciate what these brothers are doing. I think of the type of movies that, quite frankly, I like to watch. They're based upon vengeance. There'll be something that happens usually to a family member, and then this guy, usually played by Sylvester Sloan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, one of those guys, their next 90 minutes will be his plan to destroy people and get revenge. That's the kind of movies I like. And I think one of the reasons we like those kind of movies because I believe within the heart of humans is a desire for justice. The problem is when you and I think we are the judge, jury, and executioner. That's the problem. Listen to Romans 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave room for the wrath of God. For as it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I, I don't think most of us really believe that. Think about what ticks you off. Usually it's an injustice towards someone you love. And think about what goes on in our hearts and minds as we execute a plan to destroy that person. Now, we may not actually carry it out to the murder, but remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount? It's not just the act. It's what's going on in your heart and mind as we murder people every day. God is interested in justice. His character demands it. It's our job to trust the just God, leaving room for His wrath. And this is very hard because you and I want to see justice served immediately. So the people of the city agreed to this mass circumcision plan. So all the men from Shechem were circumcised. Sorry, all the men of the town, the city that Shechem lives in, were circumcised so that he could get what he wanted. There's plenty of villains in this story. Verse 25 through 28, On the third day, as the males were in great pain, after this mass circumcision, Simeon and Levi kill all the men by sword. They killed Shechem and Hamar, and apparently Dinah was in Shechem's house. They release her. Jacob's son plundered the city, took livestock, women, and children. Their revenge made families without a dad and husband. So they didn't, even, they didn't just go after Shechem and his dad. They left a lot of orphans in the city. So that's what revenge does. It never just hurts the person that we think it hurts. And I think 
Jacob somewhat alludes to that at the end of this passage. When he says, you have brought trouble on me. Now remember, we cannot know motives. Is Jacob being completely self-serving here? Does he have genuine concern? Is he thinking about consequences? We don't know. But what he says is right. Think about the trouble that is brought on us when people seek revenge. That's why wars go on forever. There's no end. And the boys respond to Jacob justifying their actions. I think there's a ton of application of this story. And I just want to share a few. Chris read for us James 4. Teaching us about desires. James 4 is a helpful diagnostic. I would encourage you to be familiar with James. Especially James 4. And I'm going to read this, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you some probing questions. Because it's easy to read this passage, well, I've never done anything like this. And take the spiritual high road. You know, I'm good. I've never done anything like this. So listen to James 4. And like earlier in the book of James, he tells us to let the word of God be a mirror. Don't be thinking about other people. Think about yourself as I read James 4, 1 through 10. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's one of the greatest concepts in all the Bible. For the people that most desperately need grace, that's everyone in this room and everyone on this planet, when we humble ourselves before God, he gives grace. Constant theme throughout the Bible. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee for you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. What, what are you doing with your desires? That which you've thought about a lot this week. Good, bad, whatever. What are you doing with that? What are you doing with your desires, your passions, your wants? What are you fighting about? What are you praying about? 
Are you becoming or have you become a friend of the world at the cost of your soul? Are you submitting yourself to God? Are you coming under His authority? Are you standing over His authority and you decide how you get to think and act? Or are you coming under His authority, specifically the authority of His Word? Are you double-minded in any way? Are you resisting the devil and his temptations? Well, there's good news. Because the humble receive God's grace. I'm not aware of any place in the Bible where someone came humbly to the Lord and he said, No, not you. Next. I'm not aware of anywhere. God gives grace to the humble. And they are exalted. Often not in this lifetime. I think it's also helpful for us to think of the, the big story of the Bible. The redemptive story that in the beginning God created out of nothing and it was good. He created man and woman in His image and He said it's very good. But then something happened in Genesis 3. Man decided he wouldn't listen to God. He took eight and all of us are suffering the consequences for that. But in the fullness of time, God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, to redeem, to forgive, to restore, to change the trajectory of our hearts and minds. And then, God promises heaven. I know you've heard me say it many times before, but the older I get, the more I think of heaven. And it's not just because I'm getting older, it's because this world is becoming less and less attractive to me. The heartache, the temptations, and when we lose sight of the Lord Jesus, and we lose sight of heaven, our desires will constantly be left unchecked and problematic. Our desires are real and they can be very dangerous. One of the huge blessings of being a pastor, preacher, or someone who teaches the Bible regularly is I get to sit under the Word all week and let it work through me. And every time I thought of this passage, I thought of some of the desires that I've had this week that have caused me to literally lay in bed at night, fretting, angry. And I found myself justified because I felt an injustice was taking place. And even if it was, I know my response was not Christ-honoring. Friends, if you are not learning how to deal with your desires that wage war on you, you're in trouble. 
we should not divorce ourselves too much from Genesis 34 saying, oh, I'd never do any of that stuff. You probably wouldn't. But would you be humble enough to admit that sometimes your desires are not kept in check? And that you know that sometimes your unchecked desires have hurt people? Husbands, think about the things you've said to your wife this week. Were all of them charitable and loving and kind? Parents, how about the way we talk to our kids? What would your kids say? Co-workers. Oh, how about what we post on Facebook? Does that ever reveal sinful desires? I know young people are like, ah, yeah, Facebook's for opioid, Twitter, whatever people younger use. As I looked at Genesis 34 this week, I was reminded of the incredible danger of letting our desires go unchecked. And friends, we have so much help. We have the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit as our helper. And we have each other. We have prayer. God has provided so much help for us. So let us plead to the God who helps his people that battle over all kinds of desires. And as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, let us look to heaven, the place when our relationships and our desires will be perfect. But until that day, there's a significant spiritual battle that takes place in the human heart. And we have to fight with the weapons that the Lord has given us. First and foremost, we must believe in the Lord Jesus. We must come to Him by saving faith, realizing He is the one alone who can purify us, not our good behavior. Church is not reform school. It's redemption school. This isn't your naughty do better. No, this is, yeah, we are naughty. But we have a Savior who took on our sin so that we can be forgiven and that we can be propelled to love people rightly and we can seek justice in the right way. And it's a community project. Let's pray for God's help and thank Him for His provision in Christ. Father, thank You so much for Your help. You've given us Your Word. You've given us Your Spirit. You've given us Your people. And oh Lord, how we thank You for the Lord Jesus, the Redeemer. God, open our eyes and see the beauty of Christ in all His fullness. And for any of my friends who have not come to initial faith in Christ, oh Lord, today, would they look to the Lord Jesus, turn away from their sins and trust His work at the cross and be forgiven and made new. And help all of us to daily be looking to Christ for our help. Continue to change our desires, to purify them, to help us look to Christ and to realize there's a place coming then we're no more tears, no more struggling, no more sinful desires, no more assault, no more injustice, all because of the Lord Jesus. So help us to look to Him. 
And God, give us strength as your people to be that which you've called us to be for your glory and for the good of others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.